This is In the Arena, the ultimate podcast on Maine politics, featuring former state senator and mayor of Portland, Democrat Ethan Strimling, former Republican state senator Bill Harriman, and TV news veteran and host Pat Callahan, with insight and analysis on political issues impacting Mainers. In the Arena starts now. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of In the Arena, a podcast on Maine politics. We've got a brand new home here at WMTW Channel 8, and you can now watch or listen to us anytime on WMTW.com in the in slash in the arena with new episodes dropping every Thursday morning. You can also listen to us on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Spotify. Just type in the search in the arena main. We should pop up. I am your host and moderator, Pat Callahan. I've been a news anchor and reporter in Maine for over 40 years, serving as our political analysts every week, our Phil Harriman, a former uh, state senator and town councilor from Yarmouth. He's a Republican. And Ethan Strimling, a Democrat who has served in the Maine Senate and as mayor of the city of Portland. Now, both have been offering analysis on Maine politics since 2008. You hardly seem old enough for that. Uh, and the three of us have been working together for many of those years. So uh, welcome to our new home, gentlemen. I look at this, if you remember back in the 1960s when most TV shows were in black and white, they say, now in color. Well, we can say, now, not just audio, now on TV, we've got video. Phil might actually remember those days that you're talking about. Ooh, I don't know. Ooh, ooh, that's sorry, 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 yeah, sorry. come on, yes. man. I know. Yes, this is great. I'm very excited. I think it's a, a great new home for sure but uh, it's also nice just to be able to really have this dialogue right around a table, have people be able to see it all. Well, I, I just enjoy the opportunity to share the, the love we have for our state and uh, our experience as uh, elected officials and share it with the audience. And hopefully they uh, want to lean in a little bit and learn a little bit and, more. And a love for each other, right, yeah. buddy? Right. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, kumbaya. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, the, the general rule around here is that we spend our first segment uh, going in depth on an issue, a couple of issues that are happening in uh, in politics that affect people in Maine. Uh, and we're a little bit different today because we're going to focus on the state of the state address from Governor Janet Mills, which was actually a two-part address. And we'll get into that in a few minutes. So that's going to be our dominant topic. It covers a lot of things that we have to unpack. Then we'll do a lightning round, uh, shorter takes on a number of big issues, again, most of them local, some of them national, but they all affect our lives and, and the way we live. So. Um, we're going to find out what's smart and not smart about what's happening in politics. Sound like a good plan? Sounds great. All right. Let's do it. Smart, not smart. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Here we this go. be like a game show here. <laughs> bing, bing. No, we're going to get started right after this. Last night, Governor Janet Mills gave her state of the state address. Let's listen to what she was talking about in the broadest sense. Maine people value straight talk, so I'll, I'll put it to you straight. We have had a very rough couple of months. We've been sorely tested time and time again. We have some pretty serious stuff to talk about. And she said she'd like to have vigorous discussions and arrive at solutions that work for our state and our people. That's kind of what we're about to. You know, yeah. the, they're, these are partisan times, and, and it's, easy to, it's easy to disagree and get mad at each other, but we don't do that here. We have, we have ways of trying to find a way through 
all of the trouble that, uh, that comes our way. So uh, that was a solid mission statement from the governor as uh, she took an unusual approach by submitting a written document early in the day on Tuesday and she outlined her priorities and plans in some detail for 2024. She then used her evening speech before the legislature to talk with Maine people about a couple of traumas that Mainers have experienced in recent months. That means the mass shooting in uh, Lewiston and the powerful storms in recent weeks that have caused tremendous damage along the uh, coast and the specter of what climate change can bring. So uh, first let's look at the nuts and bolts of the priorities laid out in the written document. Governor Mills urges fiscal restraint despite the fact that projections so show large budget surpluses, uh, perhaps as much as 265 million by the middle of 2025. So, is this restraint warranted, Ethan? Well, th this unfortunately, look, you should always have fiscal restraint. Uh, I would say actually fiscal responsibility is probably a better term to use. There are a lot of needs in the state of Maine. Our rainy day fund is as full as it has ever been. It is close to a billion dollars, which is, I think, more than three times what it was when Governor LePage left office. So our balance sheet is very strong and now is the time to make some of the investments right we always say we got to cut back when when the balance sheet is weak but now that the balance sheet is strong we need to invest in our economy and the number one thing to do is around housing so um i don't think this is a time for her to be holding back i think this is a time for her to be investing i would have liked to have seen a little more of that from her i see it a little differently pat you know if you look back to the budget that she took over from Governor LePage to where we are today, government has grown significantly. And if you listen to the detail or, what, or read the details of her State of the State address, government's going to grow again. She proposed a lot of new programs and spending. So uh, while I agree with Ethan, the, the, you know, the, the savings account is as full as legally we can have it, and there's still additional revenues, one might say, gee, let's give that back to the taxpayers who are dealing with uh, you know, net wages going down because of inflation and rising costs. And the fact that the, the programs that have been put in place, uh, they're going to live on past her administration. They're going to need funding. Well, look, if, if you want to figure out a way to take some of that money and give it back to low-income Mainers, to folks who need it to pay for heating assistance or through some, you know, the earned income tax credit, that to me is a good expenditure of money. But to just put it aside and to simply let it sit there when we have needs like housing, like education, like health care, uh, that to me feels irresponsible. Now, the governor did outline some specific spending proposals. Priorities include almost $23 million for K through 12 education, which includes shifting pre-K for children with disabilities to public school responsibility, $16 million for homeless and warming shelters, $10 million for constructing affordable housing, and $4 million to expand addiction treatment in jails. Um, in general, what do you think of those proposals, Phil? Well, I think they're all uh, challenges that we've had in Maine for decades. Housing, opioid addiction, uh, child development. These are not new topics that we uh, need to find solutions to. The question becomes, how do we effectively put these challenges behind us so that we don't have to keep talking about these year after year? Yeah, that is exactly the point. And the way that you do it is you invest in it, right? Yes, she's she's hit all the right, um, you know, hit, hit all the right notes, but she's not putting enough music behind it. She's not saying, look, $4 million for opioid addiction just is not going to move the needle enough. Uh, you know, $16 million for housing. We have 80,000 units of housing that we need built in this state. You can't get close with $16 million. And she even mentioned how much housing we need in the state. So it's time to be ambitious. 
in order to try to make sure that the next generation doesn't go through what we're going through. Well, but we've had the Maine State Housing Authority's been in, uh, in operation since the late, probably 1970s, dealing with just that very problem. Uh, the, I think the governor proposed $10 million for housing to build 130 units. Well, that works out to be about $80,000 a unit. Show me where you can do that uh, in Maine. We've got to take a look at our land use regulations, our building codes, and all those things to truly make uh, housing affordable. On that, I'll agree with you. The governor uh, brought up another serious issue in this state, and that's that she wants to hire and retain more child protective services workers with pay increases, as well as targeted help to handle the obligations of what is a difficult but very vital job. I mean, is this a step in the right direction? Because it sounds like this is not all that needs to be done. Yeah, it is a step in the right direction. I, I think this is the kind of thing you want to make sure that you're paying people well, that you're trying to make sure the resources are there. You know, when, when we are deficient in terms of the outcomes, often you need to look to talk to the people who are the ones that are providing the resources, say, what is it you need? And if you talk to them, every time they're going to say, we've got to have the resources to do this job. You know, I, I probably can speak for you as well, Ethan, when I was in the state Senate and all legislators listening to this podcast can agree, they get phone calls from constituents who are concerned about a child in harm's way. In the process, at least that I learned, it's very difficult to go into a family environment and pull a child away from that situation that could be dangerous. So anything that the governor can do, in my view, to empower that uh, challenge to be uh, uh, accomplished, I'm for it. Well, and, and that's a good point. When you were talking about philosophy earlier, uh, you know, maybe we need to look at zoning, et cetera, not just on this one too, right? Family reunification is a philosophy, and that philosophy really doesn't work sometimes. And so we've got to get rid of that and say to health of the child is number one. That may not be in the House. Now let's get to the actual address that the governor delivered, the traditional speech to the Maine legislature and to the people of the state in which she focused on addressing the effects of climate change, but in a much bigger way, most notably, the shooting rampage in October that killed 18 people in Lewiston. If you are a law-abiding citizen who owns firearms in Maine, you'll have nothing to fear. If you're a collector of firearms in Maine, you have nothing to fear. If you like to hunt in Maine, deer, bear, duck, pheasant, coyotes, you have nothing to fear. And if you're a 14-year-old boy bowling with your dad on a weeknight in Lewiston, you too should have nothing to fear. If you are a truck driver, a postal carrier, or an ASL interpreter with a young wife and four kids at home, or delivery driver taking an evening off to play cornhole with friends, you should have nothing to fear. The emotional heart of that speech, and it addressed the idea that uh, not everyone is going to be on board with the changes that she's talked about in terms of preventing gun violence. Um, she is expanding background checks, uh, making some changes to the yellow flag law, making it a felony to sell guns to people who are prohibited from having them. And that was for those who were worried about going too far. Uh, Phil, we saw a lot of Republican legislators sitting on their hands for much of the outline of her proposals. Does an appeal like the one we just heard move the needle at all? Oh, it, how could it not? It was probably the most poignant uh, moment I've seen in a gubernatorial state of the state address uh, uh, that I've experienced. And you could tell this hit home uh, to her. The question now becomes, how does she take that image that she painted for everyone to see in their mind's eye and put it into legislation that will get bipartisan support. That's where the difficulty is going to be because Republicans in general say we already have laws on the books. 
to prevent these things. Why should you go after law-abiding citizens who are, are, you know, responsible gun owners? And Governor Mills herself had to admit that she had to change her thinking on some of these. Yeah, she did for sure. I mean, she has not been a fan of uh, universal background checks in the background. So it's in the past. So it's nice to see this evolution. And while I, I agree with you, Phil, it's important that she tries to find bipartisan support. I'm going to say, though, it is up to Republicans at this point to start to step up to the plate. Right. We have uh, we don't want to believe it, but we have a gun violence uh, problem in this state. We have the highest per capita gun death rate in all of the Northeast. And that was before 2023. So our per capita gun death rate in this state is going to probably be one of the worst in the country. So she's got to get Republicans, sure, but Republicans have got to move on this issue. What she's proposing is not very radical, honestly. What she's proposing is pretty simple. And the governor has also built in mental health uh, options that in, to help people in crisis, which is something which I think everyone agrees that is part of this whole equation. And it's important to note she's not just talking about mass shootings, but also about uh, suicides and domestic violence murders. You know, Pat, that's a really important point, because as soon as you suggest that someone's got a mental health illness, we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that they're about to do something that's heinous. Right. And and we shouldn't jump to the conclusion that, you know, most of the people who commit violent crimes with guns have a serious mental illness. Right. This is not the case. Only four percent of violent crime is committed by people with mental illness. And, you know, my frustration with her proposal last night, she gave a great speech on guns. Right. It was very emotional. I think it was very effective in terms of persuasion. But the policy she's proposing doesn't match the moment, right? Universal background checks would not have stopped Robert Card. An assault weapons ban would have, for sure. A waiting period probably would have. A true red flag law would have. But universal background checks by itself wouldn't have. That's why she's not going far enough yet. So the question becomes, how does the uh, person who's selling a gun that's unadvertised, how do they get access to that national database? Do they have to travel, you know, miles and miles yeah. away to go yeah. check it? There's got to be uh, easier, you know, technology is everywhere today. Yeah, and, to well, if there's this. a licensed gun dealer in your area, then but that's probably where it happens. Right? There are a lot of places but, in Maine where th that's th not We're going to okay. have a lot more time to talk about this in coming weeks because this issue is not uh, going away right. for sure. Uh, the GOP made their response last night. Uh, it was sort of unusual. Uh, they kept saying, the governor said the state of the state overall is strong. Uh, Republicans said, no, she's gaslighting you. Uh, Phil, what did you think? <laughs> well, that's probably not the right descriptor. But, you know, the opposition party is always responsible for saying, well, that was the governor's point. Uh, here's our counterpoint. And they, and I think they were rightly uh, able to say, you know, net wages are going down, prices of living are going up, and, uh, you know, Maine's not on the move, and we, we need to do something about it. What yeah, you, you know, I think the, the, the problem with their speech, though, Phil, was that it was clearly a campaign speech in so much as they said it was a campaign speech. They said, elect us. And right. that really is not what you should do in a state of the state response. And the other thing is, what's your answer? You know what? I don't disagree that there are people struggling in Maine. I don't disagree that our economy needs to serve more people, not just those who are well off or those who are wealthy, but they just don't have any solutions, alternatives. All right. The lightning round is next on In the Arena.
Well, welcome back to the first episode of a brand new season of In the Arena with Phil Harriman and Ethan Strimling. This is the lightning round. We're going to see what's happening in politics this week that's smart or not smart. First issue is Congressman Jared Golden reversed his longtime opposition to uh, weapons ban on assault weapons after the shooting in Lewiston. And he recently said he didn't think that this was going to affect his reelection. Ethan, is that smart to think that way? No, I'd say that's not smart. This is going to be, I think, one of the biggest issues that's going to be debated. Uh, he'll gain some, lose some, but he's got to be on this issue. So not smart to think that on his part. Uh, I think it's smart. I think the net effect from voters is going to be negligible. Issue two, Governor Janet Mills created a commission to investigate the Lewis and shootings. Now, uh, because they're having some trouble getting certain people to speak with them, she has proposed a bill to have subpoena power for that panel. That's smart? Uh, very smart. Yeah, I agree. Very smart. The commission's already having trouble getting people come to testify. They need as much information as possible. Uh, issue three, a recent report from the Portland Press-Herald uncovered the fact that not a single landlord in the city of Portland has been fined for violating the rent control ordinance, despite the city finding 37 violations and 150 corrections in three years. Uh, Ethan, as former mayor, you can certainly speak to this and uh, tell us, is the city being smart or not smart in allowing landlords some leniency about enforcement? Uh, allowing landlords some leniency in terms of enforcement would be smart if we were uh, a year in. But we're three years in now, and now there are landlords who are have had multiple violations. So at this point, you've got to enforce the law, not smart. Yeah, I, I, not, not smart. I think the landlords need to understand that there, there are consequences. As you said, even they've had plenty of time to become familiar with the, with the ordinance. Uh, the next issue... President, former President Donald Trump, running for re-election, has told Congress, don't pass immigration reform, uh, even though the Senate is working on a deal that would tie that to Ukraine aid. Smart? Not smart? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't seen the bill. None of us know no what's in it. Yeah. Right. So ask me after we see the bill. <laughs> well, but think about this from the politics. He's in a tough spot, right? If Congress acts, it makes it look like there's somebody in office who's doing it. And if Congress doesn't act because of him, he looks bad. I think he would have preferred that they just kill it without him having to say it. So, but I'm going to say it's not smart in the end. Issue five, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that the feds can take down razor wire that it placed in a river in Texas meant to keep immigrants out. Some officials in that state, including at least one member of Congress, say that Supreme Court ruling should be ignored. I'll start with you, since it's Republicans, yeah. the party of law and order, Phil. Yeah. Is that smart or not no, smart? No, it, it's not smart. And let's remember, this was an injunction. It's not a final decision. It's basically saying, while we sort this out, they can cut the wire. Yeah, I mean, from the political perspective, I get it. So it's smart because it fires up your base, but really not smart in terms of humanity and in just in terms of our country. This is like Civil War stuff. You start saying you're not going to apply laws the federal government's requiring you to. It's a slippery slope. We might all like Oof. to pick and choose which ones we have <laughs> exactly. to exactly. We'll be back to wrap up in the arena right after this. lovers of politics and political history in this room, and I know people who are listening are too. And I've got to say, I've covered politics for, again, for more than four decades. And we just came through a rather dreary New Hampshire primary. Uh, there, was, there was no contest on the Democratic side. 
and it was a foregone conclusion who was going to win on the Republican side. Yeah. You didn't have debates. You didn't have the signs everywhere. Uh, you didn't have the pancake flipping contests anymore. None of the fun stuff. <laughs> well, Donald Trump won't even participate in that stuff anymore. He's just like, forget it. I'm just doing yeah, my own stuff. That's true. He, he'll have rallies. He won't go to the diners anymore. Nope, he won't he do won't. that stuff. Unlike, remember John Edwards years ago uh, when he ran, it was... He would do 36-hour marathons and do a stop every two hours in the middle of the night somewhere. That's determination. That's how New Hampshire is supposed to be. Well, with Bill Clinton, there wasn't a cheeseburger at a diner he wouldn't <laughs> grab. And, and one of the things that helps is having big fields. And I remember uh, even some of the most serious candidates could show a sense of humor because you have to in those circumstances. And Senator Bob Kerry of Nebraska is a Medal of Honor recipient, was a Navy SEAL, served with distinction and, and great cause to his own, his own uh, person to uh, in uh, Vietnam mm. he uh, when I interviewed him a number of times and he was always very thoughtful very serious about things didn't really wasn't the kind of to cajole and, and joke around but on nom uh, presidential primary day in 1992 he was outside a polling place in Manchester and a fellow who was going in to vote asked Senator Kerry would you watch my dog <laughs> and he's got a golden retriever on a leash. So Senator Kerry said, yeah, sure. And he's still greeting people. And as he's shaking hands with people and holding onto the dog, the dog suddenly coughs up something on his shoe. Oh. And Senator Kerry says, hmm, must be George Bush's dog. <laughs> and you have to be old enough to remember that just weeks before this, oh, yeah, President George H.W. Bush had a bout of gastroenteritis yes, yes. while on a foreign mission, and he threw up in the lap of the Japanese prime minister. <laughs> Horrible moment for him, but it lived on. And it was just one of those little moments that shows, yeah, these guys are serious, they're running for a serious job, but come on, you're dealing yeah. with people and weird things happen yeah. all the time. So <laughs> when he, he, he targeted that dog right away. So we just need to tell our viewers and our listeners, because you didn't, you didn't set yourself up. At the end of these shows, we like to have you tell a little story. Story time about with Pat. Story time with Pat is what we call it, because we just, he's got so many good stories, and it's just... I mean, we've been doing. I, I would imagine we could do this for seven years, and you would have a good story. <laughs> I don't know every about that, so, but, but we, we will do more because New Hampshire primary is great fodder, yeah. and we'll do another one next week uh, that features Jesse Jackson. All right, uh, because, because, yeah. because keep there's hope never, alive. There's never a dull moment yeah. when, when Reverend alive. Jesse Jackson is involved. That's going to do it for episode one of season two of In the Arena, now produced at WMTW Channel Eight Studios and posted on WMTW.com as well as anywhere you get your podcasts. New episodes will drop every Thursday morning. If you like it, feel free to drop us a line. If you don't like it, well, keep it to yourself. No, <laughs> you can tell us anyway. We can take it. We'll see you next time. Good job.